Welcome to the That Don't Fit podcast, a podcast where we're dedicated to talking about life and life's real issues that cross racial and generational lines. My name is Jared Torrance, and I'm here with my co-host, Andy Farmer. We're friends, we're pastors, we're wanting to help people talk and process life in a crazy world. Welcome to the conversation. The following is part two of our two-part episode on historical laws featuring Cassie Justy. So um, I want to get to uh, the Emancipation Proclamation. Yep. Um, is there anything between that, between where we are now and that, that's on your list of things? No. Because I think that's a fascinating one. Just a quick thing on that. <laughs> we're, we're having this in the middle of right, a week before the, uh, the inauguration. Yeah. And uh, people are talking about, you know, how crazy things are. And I go back to like 1860 when Lincoln uh, was elected and he took office with uh, a certain number of states. And as soon as he took office, they just started leaving. Mm. They just said, we gone. And uh, so he, 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 had no, <laughs> he, had, he had no power to stop them. Right. Yeah. right? So he's ultimately going to have to take over as, this, as they're just all leaving it, you know, piece by piece. Mm-hmm. And so I read a book about it one time, and it's, you know his experience of just oh another one's leaving oh, mm-hmm. oh yeah. they're leaving too and and so it's a crazy thing and then you get into you, you you get elected and you sort of you have your inauguration and you're saying what uh, I'm not sure what country I'm actually <laughs> right right uh, president of right now um, so and then you, and, and then and then two months later they're in the middle of a war mm-hmm. with each other right um, and so that goes on for a couple of years and then. Uh, just what happens is is just the, the the historical part of it is just Lincoln is looking for some way to tie in the slavery issue more closely to the war effort, and so but he's not getting any victories. He's getting you know, he's getting whooped like in every battle, and uh, so finally they fight a draw in Antietam, and he's like, "That's good enough for me. I'll you know I'll sell that as a win." And uh, and we'll launch this thing. So that gets us to the Emancipation Proclamation. What is that? Yep. What is what does that do? Yep. So that is a proclamation that kind of definitively stated that all enslaved persons were now free. Um, that became effective, I think, January first on eighteen sixty three. So despite that being a definitive proclamation. There were several states that refused to abide. They did not release their slaves. They didn't even tell their slaves mm-hmm. that they were freed. Um, and, and kind of mum was the word there. Yeah. So two years later, you have the passing of the 13th Amendment that codifies the Emancipation Proclamation and says, no, no, really, we're mm-hmm. serious this time. Mm-hmm. All slaves are now free, yeah. um, with the exception of slavery for punishment for a crime, which is, I think, a helpful, a helpful exception to keep in mind when you kind of stand back in 2020 and look back at mass incarceration and see how yeah. some of that has played out over the hmm. years. That's interesting, yeah. Um, so that was in 1965, uh, June 19th of 1865. 18, 1865, thank you. Um, I was alive in 1965. <laughs> <so>. <laughs> <laughs> I don't remember that. No, no, yeah. no, no, no. You would have remembered that. June 19th, 1865 is what we kind of celebrate Juneteenth, which is when the Union Army went to Galveston, Texas and said, no, we're actually serious and announced mm-hmm. to the slaves that they were free. Yeah. At, really after the end of the war. Yep. And uh, after Lincoln had died. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. it was about two and a half years after the Emancipation Proclamation. Yeah. 
Yeah. So tell me about so June uh, Juneteenth. What's the significance of that? You know, uh, how is it understood yep. as a moment in time? Yeah. So, I mean, from the kind of standing where we're standing at this point in history, Juneteenth is something that's celebrated pretty widely across mm-hmm. the yeah. United States. Um, because you celebrating the 4th of July, I think for many African-Americans and people of color does not feel like something to celebrate because yeah. it didn't it didn't bring freedom to African-Americans. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, slaves were still, they were still enslaved for, for several years after that. So Juneteenth represents the true kind of nail in the coffin as it relates to slavery. Yeah. Not yeah. racial injustice, but sure. as it relates to yeah. slavery as we knew it. Yeah. Which is June 19th, by the way. Mm-hmm. Right. Okay. Yeah. June 19th. Yeah, yeah. And so what happened, the, they went to Galveston and they... And they basically said, we're going to enforce this. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. So we're moving on from there. And we're just going to keep going until, you know, we'll, we'll find a breaks point here. But we'll just walk through history. Okay. Um, I, 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 I get this. I love this stuff. So, you know, you know I'm, I'm like yeah. eating it up. So Wait, before we... <laughs> My mind before is going... We, ju- 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 ju. <laughs> before, we, <laughs> before we keep jumping through, you, you mentioned something in passing. I, I'm wondering, can you talk on that a little bit more about the 13th Amendment? And kind of mass incarceration, how that kind of, the connections there. Yep. So the 13th Amendment was passed, which prohibits slavery except for in the instance of punishment for a crime, right? Right. So what you then had through the Reconstruction into Jim Crow and then starting, you know, when you think about the war on drugs or the war on crime and some of the campaigns that have really focused on criminalization of various acts, once slavery was abolished on its face, mm-hmm. states just started criminalizing pretty basic behaviors that they knew you would be able to then, you would be able to imprison this this person of color for simply yeah. breaking yeah. this law. Um, so when you think about vagrancy laws, so if you, if you were a person of color, if you were a former slave, now a freedman, and you did not have a job or you could not document that you have a job, that was something where you could be imprisoned for that. You could be fined for that. Um, and if you didn't have money. Right. Right. Jail. That's yeah. right. Um, so that pattern of kind of criminalizing various behaviors is something that we see all throughout our nation's history. And when you kind of step back now and look at our prison system and look at the number of people of color in the prison system as mm-hmm. compared to their white counterparts, mm-hmm. um, the numbers are pretty staggering. Yeah. So we move out of this next big thing coming out of the Civil War, coming out of, you've abolished slavery. Yep. But you still have, do you have citizenship at that point? So even after the abolition of slavery, Mm -hmm. former slaves were not U.S. citizens. Um, So later on, there was an amendment made to the Constitution so that you could be, if you were born in the United States as a person of color, as a black person, you would be a U.S. citizen citizen. Mm -hmm. But Congress actually had to enact the Civil Rights Act of 1866 to give former slaves citizenship in the United States because prior to they were not considered citizens. Yeah. I just want to highlight one, just one chaotic fact of just not being a citizen, but fighting in the war. Yeah. It's, it's just the the whole idea of the, of the black patriot just stuns me when I, when I, when I think of it, of just fighting for a country that doesn't even recognize your humanity, right. dying yeah. for yeah. that, and then 
after winning the war, yeah. still not becoming a citizen. Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah, that, and still not having equal treatment, right? That went yeah. on for years and years and years and years. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Segregated armed forces up through World War II. Right. Um, okay. So we, we move into what's called Reconstruction. Give us a little definition of Reconstruction. Yeah. So the Reconstruction is a... Period. Sounds like a good word. It is a good word. It <laughs> yeah. is a good word, um, yeah. especially given the context. Um, so this is the, the decade and some change after the abolition of slavery when mm-hmm. the United States was really kind of struggling with how do you integrate this entire population of, of people that did not have any rights yeah. um, prior to the abolition of, of slavery. Um, so in 1865, Congress established something called the Freedmen's Bank. Mm-hmm. So this was a a bank that was chartered by Congress. And the purpose was to give former slaves a place where they can save, because, you know, we didn't do reparations the way that we think about them today, but they did establish a bank and say, you know, this is a place where you can put your money, you can save, you can accumulate wealth, was the goal. So the bank was chartered by Congress. It was not like now when you put your money in a bank, it's insured, right, Mm -hmm. by the federal government up to a certain amount. So this bank was not insured by the federal government. Because Congress created the bank, I think many people assumed that it would have the backing of the the federal government. Mm -hmm. So there were thousands and thousands of people that put their money in -hmm. this bank. I think when I checked kind of what would the amount be, it ended up being like $3 million in total. So we're talking tens of thousands of former slaves that as they could accumulate something, we can't say accumulate wealth because that certainly wasn't um, I don't think that's an accurate way to description to, to describe that. So deposit made deposits into this bank. So it's not insured by the federal government. Um, the OCC is a, a federal branch of government. Uh, I'm sorry, a federal regulator mm-hmm. that kind of oversees nationally chartered banks. But when Friedman's Bank was created, it was specifically put under the authority of Congress, not under the authority of the OCC that generally provides this oversight for banks and what they're doing. It prohibits them from taking money out of, like you can't take deposits and go gamble on a real estate, something or other investment. So a few years after the creation of the bank, there was senior leaders within the bank. There was fraud, there was mismanagement of the funds. Um, A gentleman named Henry Cook took a majority of the deposits and pretty much gambled it on a real estate investment and lost. And just about everything from that bank was lost. Mm. And it was not insured. So when you think about, you know, people that are coming out of slavery Mm -hmm. and trying to take what they can earn and deposit it in a bank, and those savings are completely wiped away. And there's really no recourse for that in that Congress said, sorry, can't help you. And even if you, like, I take a step back now, and this is something that I just recently learned about. If you look at kind of the American population of who is underbanked, meaning, you know, you you don't have access to banks or you do not put your money in banks or you don't trust banks, what have you. I think the overall U.S. population, it's like 7%, maybe 8% that would be considered underbanked. Mm -hmm. I think for the African-American population, it's something like in the 20s or mm. even 30s, mm. um, which is pretty significant compared to your yeah. to our white counterparts. Yeah. So it's yeah. actually 31%, 31.6% compared to Hispanics, 24%. And then for um, 
white people at 7.2% wow. that are underbanked. Wow. Um, so we just, I guess, I look at these things and I just say we cannot discount what happened mm -hmm. and we can't discount the lasting impact of what has happened. Yeah. Right, because it's not like a new swath of African Americans just appeared like these are our ancestors. Like these, these are our, right. where we're descended from. Yeah. And uh, that's where we're kind of all, are all starting um, from that position. And so it's just, uh, yeah, there, I, I think that it, it, it ought to account for so much grace and like in conversation about yeah. these things, about uh, the disparities, about the inequalities. Um, because, you know, the rhetoric we can often hear is, you know, just pull yourself up by your bootstraps and do this. Mm -hmm. It's like, dude, my bootstraps were gone many, many eons yeah. ago. And, uh, but not, not to say that like, we don't work hard or do things like that, but it's just that argument doesn't mean what you, what you think it means. And, uh, it, it accounts, it just, it just, we, I think we just, whenever we're speaking on these things, we have to look historic. Like we can't just yeah. forego all those yeah. things that you have just said, all those things that you have just spoken about, all those laws that were in place. Like these weren't misfortunes. These were intentional things done that drastically affected an entire people group. Right. Um, yeah. Right. Yeah, it's interesting also because like Reconstruction, there's, there's, just, there's a couple of very significant things happen at the same time. One is the you have these people who've been made who've been freed and made millions of people suddenly now citizens with rights, right. correct? You also have these states that had been in rebellion that they're trying to bring back into the Union so you don't end up with more civil war. Right. Mm -hmm. And so, and it's interesting because I think that in the initial stages of, of uh, a Reconstruction, there were a number of of uh, black men who made it into Congress, and I think maybe even one senator, they were, they were voted in by blacks who could vote. And so you've got this thing going on where it, it's just a volatile time, and so a lot of these laws, I think, are, you'll see certain things that seem to be, okay, this is meant to solve this problem. This one's trying to solve this problem. And the laws collide, and... What tends to end out end, end up winning out is who's got more clout. Right. Where's the power? Yep. And the laws that, that are backed by the people with more power end up, you know, overshadowing anything else. And so the, even what you describe in there in the Freedom Bank, it's like you why isn't it insured? Right. You know, because somebody said we don't want to risk it. Right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Or there's people who say, I don't want to insure that. So mm. So that's kind of the, you know, you've got this crazy, difficult period of time where you, you, a fractured country trying to come together with this group of people that's been suddenly brought into play with rights and, uh, you know, the leadership doesn't, doesn't address it well. Right. So other things, you, you mentioned uh, black codes. Yes. Yeah. So black codes... Almost immediately after the abolition of slavery, you have states that took it upon themselves to enact laws that, one, just like we were talking about earlier, criminalize pretty basic behaviors. But also, if we think about the South, right, so there was an entire economy 
that hinged on slavery's continuation, its existence and its continuation. So the abolition of slavery obviously had a huge, or would have a huge Im economic impact on yeah. the states that were in the South. Um, so black codes, it criminalized various behavior. It also put limitations on what people of color, what black Americans were able to do, what types of jobs they were able to have. How did it do that? So for example, Mississippi had a law that required any black person to have written evidence. So this is 1865, okay? Yeah. To have written evidence of your employment for the coming year, and you had to provide that each January. And if you left your employer mm -hmm. before the end of your contract, you would forfeit your wages for the time that you worked there, and you were subject to arrest. And you're a citizen. And you're a citizen. Yeah. 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 So that's an example. It prohibited um, black people from holding any occupation. This is in South Carolina. Um, other than a farmer or a servant. Sounds familiar? Mm -hmm. And if they took a job that was not within those two fields or occupations, they'd be subject to a tax um, from between $10 or $100. And again, mm -hmm. this is 1860. So they're not saying you can't do it. It's just that you're going to have to pay for the right. You have to pay for the right to not be, to not be this. To right. not have the job that you just left yeah. as a slave. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. yeah. So there continue to be laws prohibiting interracial marriage. Um, there were laws allowing uh, employers, which they did call masters on the books, by the way, wow. to whip their servants. Stop it. Yep. Mm -hmm. If they were under a certain age, if they were an adult, you could appeal to a judge to get permission to whip your adult servant. Wow. Um, South Carolina also had laws that allowed apprenticeships so that black children, whether it was against their will or they were willing to do it, would be able to hold certain jobs. And again, masters had the right to inflict punishment on children and I believe applied to females as well. Mm -hmm. But under the code, they were required to provide food, clothing, teach them a trade and send them to school. So, you know, yeah. it, it all evens out in the end, I think was their logic. Yeah, yeah. But to just attest real quick, give me a little praise break to attest to the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Yeah. As you're describing these things, out of this turmoil, out of this suffering, is birthed the black church. Yeah. yeah. And like, and not birthed in like limping along. Like, yeah. the, it, during these times, these people are experiencing things, these things during the week, and then they're gathering on Sundays with jubilant celebration, knowing that the oppression they're feeling currently, which is very real, Mm -hmm. Knowing that their suffering that they're feeling is very real, they know a God who can deliver them out of that. Yeah. Yeah. And and so they're they're dancing, they're singing, they're celebrating, they're telling the old story, they're 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 preaching Exodus, they're enjoying uh the kingdom that they belong to, which right. is not of this world. And so in the midst of everything you're describing, the black church is thriving. Yeah. And people are finding hope and joy week after week as they gather with the other saints in the midst of everything you're describing. It's just, it's just yeah. blowing my mind because like, as you're going yeah. through these dates, I'm like, this is lining up when like, the AME church has yeah. started. It. It's yep. just it's fascinating yeah. to me. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah there's, yeah, there's stories about like uh, uh, Mother Bethel, how they purchased their land. It's, it's the oldest, the longest owned piece of property in continual ownership of, of African-Americans in, in the country, wow. the, where the church is now. 
And uh, so they bought the land. They put a, uh, a blacksmith shop on it as their church. They just literally hauled the black and just boom, put it there. And, uh, and then they gradually started building buildings uh, to the point where they got the one they have now. But uh, but the de- denomination, the Methodists, said uh, said we we own this property and so richard allen had to actually use his own money to buy back the property <laughs> that he already owned what um because they they laid claim to it as a denomination wow uh because no you're part of our denomination and you know so we own your property and and you know so he you know he fought it and he realized i, I, I could fight it but the next court's going to just rule the other way mm-hmm. so i'm just going to buy it back so he just pulled some money wow. together and bought it back and you know, place where that's a that's a place where where uh, you've just got it's not laws, but the courts aren't going to step in right. and deal with that. Right. So, yeah. And you think about how much that, like those believers had to like really truly believe right. yeah. that what God says He really means, like right. that there actually is like you can return a curse, you can return a curse with a blessing, and there's yeah. blessing for you in that, and you have yeah. to like really believe that to be true. Yeah. Or that there's actually blessing in like turning the other cheek or giving mm-hmm. your cloak and your tunic too. Mm-hmm. Um, in a way that I don't know that I even fully appreciate what yeah. it looked like to live during that era as a believer yeah. and be on the receiving end of such injustice and yeah. continue to honor Jesus and believe the gospel anyway. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And and even like there's even like sections of the black church that were starting that rebranded themselves to integrate to allow whites to come into their churches because they're like we want all people in these churches and so like they wanted like hispanics different people in those as well so it's like ju- just the power of the gospel and yeah. how they're living this out in the midst of what you're describing and all those laws that are in place is just it just just keeps blowing blowing my mind yeah right. it's amazing yeah. Yeah. yeah i also think they probably heard the music in the black church and they were like <laughs> I need that. And that's what we need. <laughs> that's what we yeah. yeah. And actually, Richard Allen is interesting. He took all these Methodist hymns that were like being sung in all these white churches, and he just said, "Okay, we're going to add some choruses." And oh. he just added choruses <laughs> to the hymns. Yes. yes. <laughs> so there's actually a hymnal. There's a hymnal with all these songs that are from Methodist, and then wow. they just add these choruses that fit their style. That's, that's great. Awesome. Well, I guess technically Chris Tomlin is Richard Allen. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome. That's fantastic. <laughs> so good. We're going to kind of wind up here um, and uh, and just you know, first of all, just we're kind of stopping, kind of at the end of the 19th century. Um, there may be things that you want to touch base on, and I'm looking forward to maybe next time we're together to talk a little bit about you get into Jim Crow segregation. That'd be kind of where we go here so thank you so much of course thank you great and we will see you next time